0: Todd and Rob in the afternoon,
1: afternoon. Hey, afternoon with Todd and Rob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the new media show. We're back again on Wednesday, uh, back in the saddle. Rob, welcome to the show. It's great to be back, Todd,
2: do, doing the show. This is uh, it's going to be a fun episode. We get to talk, talk a little deeper, get into the weeds of uh some podcast advertising stuff and kind of the latest and greatest trends
1: but, but, uh, you know,
2: that, that are pushing the, in, the, 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 the industry forward. No but question.
1: But you know, the best part, yep. we're still here. We didn't get fired. We did get fired. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, so we
2: navigated those waters successfully. Is that what you're saying, Todd? I,
1: I yeah. think so. There wasn't, there was, you know, a few Twitter comments that came back to us and, you yeah. know, I saw you handle those on social media. I yeah. let you navigate that landmine, <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> but,
2: right. Go, go ahead, Doug.
1: But anyway, uh, no one loves us this week on Satoshi's. We we got no boost. So those of you that are watching, you know, if you're watch, if you're using the Podcast Two Point app and want to boost us, we'll talk about it during the show. But yeah, it was uh, yeah kind of disappointed. We didn't get any. Guess no one thought we were boost worthy last week, and. Uh, it is what it is. But why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce our guest today?
2: Yeah, we're lucky to have uh, Mr. Dave Hanley on, who's the longtime founder and um, CRO now of uh, Cast, who is a colleague of mine, um, uh, or is part of Lipson now. And I, I thought it would really be great to have Dave on to kind of help us kind of dig a little deep into what's happening, like I'd mentioned earlier, about uh, the changes in the industry around Programmatic advertising, and I know Todd, you're all in on this now as well. And and thought you know, getting us all together to talk about this at a deep level. And I know that the Sounds Profitable folks are all over this, and and a lot of people are really focused on this area as a opportunity for um, all levels of podcasters to potentially um, you know monetize their their podcasts. And I know Todd, you and I have always said that that's not always the main goal of podcasters is to make money from their show. But you know, a lot of the reason why that hasn't been possible is because of kind of limitations in the infrastructure of the, of the advertising side of podcasting. But I, I do think, and I don't know, Todd, you know, w- we'll dive into it deep, but I think those opportunities are, are growing and expanding, hopefully in a positive way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, I did forget to mention, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I actually went to the mailbox for the first time in a couple of weeks and we don't want to thank edible honesty for sending us a, a oh, sticker for our awesome. sticker board. So Joe, thanks for that. We'll make sure we get that on the sticker board here, but I apologize. I went to the mailbox yeah. and it's been in there a couple of weeks, but anyway, we continue. Anyway, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah.
2: Dave, uh, yeah Dave, thanks welcome. guys.
1: Yeah.
0: Excited to be here. I know, um, you guys always say if you listen to the New Media Show, you get a, an MBA and or a PhD or whatever it is in podcasting. Um, I got into the podcast universe back in 2017, um, and you know one of the main um, kind of resources for me was was the show um, to learn all about what's going on in the podcasting world. So I, I have one of those MBAs or PhDs or whatever you uh, you want to call <laughs> it because I've been a long time listener. So it's
2: great to yeah, be was- here. Yeah, I would say so, you know, building the company that you've built and, uh, and being, being a resource to all levels of podcasters for, for many years has been, you know, it's, it's really boosted the industry and really, um, taken the the whole advertising side of podcasting to a whole nother level. And I, you know, I definitely appreciate that. But, um, but yeah, so as far as, you know, your perspective, um, Dave on this, I mean, Where do you think we are, you know, that lead in that I talked about at the beginning of this. So is that how you're seeing the market for podcasting shifting or are you seeing something else happen that maybe I'm not seeing?
0: Yeah. I mean, when I think back to, again, kind of the early days of when advertised Cast got started, you know, our Mm -hmm. really our main focus was host red ads. Um, And, you know, back then. Um, I think that was, you know, most advertising, um, companies, uh, focus in the podcast world because that was really all we had. Right. Um, and when we first got into the space, it was host read and it was baked in ads. And that was really all we had to sell. You know, somebody calls us up, how does this work? Well, the host does the mm-hmm. ad. Um, they're talking about last night's, um, football game. Then they go right into their, you know, ad about hello fresh. Um, and it was very simple. And part of the role that we played then was to kind of educate people around what they need to know about podcast advertising that's different from other channels that they advertised in, like, you know, broadcast and social media and that type of thing. And what we thought back then was that some sunny day, someone's going to call us up and say, hey, you know, the majority of people that call us up are going to say, I know all about podcast advertising. I've done it before. And we don't have to take that educational you know, mm-hmm. kind of stance. But then what happened, of course, is that the, the world of podcast advertising got a lot more complicated, you know, dynamic ad insertion, um, companies start selling, you know, different types of ad units and packages, mid rolls, pre-rolls, dynamic, episodic, full catalog. Um, you know, the whole advent of IAB certified platforms versus non IAB certified platforms versus yeah. platforms that say they're IAB compliant, but they're not certified. <laughs> right. Um, And then, you know, because I was kind of new to media altogether, I was doing a lot of kind of reading and research back then about, like, how did this work in other, you know, kind of emerging media channels? And and really what I kind of found out was whenever a new media kind of comes about, the scrappy, really, you know, aggressive advertisers come in, generally speaking, they're direct response advertisers. They figure out the channel, they exploit it um, to get really, really good And maybe exploits the wrong word. They, you know, they. I think uh, it's the good word. Yeah, I think it's the right one to the maximum (laughs) to get their to get their ROI. And then, of course, other people find out about it that aren't, you know, the the typical, you know, advertisers that are going to jump into a new media, and then they enter the space. And I think that over the last year to maybe you know eighteen months, I think that's what's been happening is a lot of bigger brands are going. Geez, you know, HelloFresh is getting a really good you know, return on investment over here, it seems. Um, And there's a lot more visibility and then bigger brands start to come in. Um, And I think the big difference between the direct response kind of scrappier marketers and the bigger brands is the bigger brands want to control the message a little bit more. They don't want to necessarily have a host, you know, talk about their product any way they want. You know, as we as you guys have talked about many times on your show is, you know, some good examples of just crazy ad reads that are, you know, going way off the you know, way off the reservation and the hosts, yeah. you know, kind of get in trouble, but then they kind of don't because it still generates a great ROI for the advertiser. <laughs> right. um, I don't think the big brands want to deal with that for the most part. And so I think that's why we're seeing a lot of momentum in more of the, I'm going to use air quotes here for people that aren't watching, um, you know, programmatic advertising. And really, when you think about programmatic, it's pre-produced creative. It's targeted across, you know, um, many, many shows typically kind of an audience or certain demographics. Um, and I think that's really what the bigger brands are gravitating towards. And I think that's what we're seeing in terms of that shift. And that's, what's really driving things. Um, and so, yeah. you know, there's, it seems like most companies like us and, you know, Blueberry's doing the same thing. Libsyn just announced the same thing. Other platforms are really, you know, tapping into that to be able to give podcasters some more options in terms of monetizing their show. And that's kind of where we're at today.
1: You know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we worked really, really hard to try to bring the advertisers that were doing direct response and host red ads back to the smaller shows. But it just, you know, it seemed to me like I was just pounding my head against the wall, talking with media buyers. And of course, and then every, you know, 18 months, the the position changed and you had to do that education all over again. And I don't know if there's still a lot of that going on. Today or not? Uh, hopefully, it's you know we're past that point. But I think that um, from what we've observed so far since we've introduced programmatic and we've been testing with our pound uh, our partner Soundstack now for about four months, and then released just before podcast movement to the entire Blueberry community was we just wanted to see what the quality ads were and then what the CPMS were running, and uh, you know getting a, getting a handle on on that to see you know where where the low point was where the high point is where the median is going to be uh, what the fill rate's going to be and uh, essentially at this point I think we're we've got a pretty good handle on where those numbers are and what the fill rate's going to be and um, I'm pretty pleased with it I guess from that standpoint being that it's just a click a button and you're on, you know, you don't really have to do anything more. You don't have to think, you don't have to go through meetings. You don't have to have, you send them product. You don't have to, you know, do follow-up on how bad their or good their ad was. You don't have to do, you don't have to give them a link to put on their website for a call to action. You don't have to have a promo code, all this stuff that we'd have to do with a host. And it just, it just makes it easy for a content creator that's focused on growing just to be able to say, okay, I can turn, now, If you know, you get to the bigger point. Those Don't get me wrong. Those host red ads are super valuable and very profitable for content creator. But for the average podcaster that's starting out today, and, and be honest with you, I think Anchor kind of set the bar on this because we were watching what Anchor was doing when they launched and they were mostly advertising Anchor on other Anchor shows, which, you know, there was some other ads in there, but the CPMs that uh, people were reporting to us were horrendous and we thought okay we you know the CPM levels have to be somewhere where it's tangible so that the podcaster actually ends up with a decent check you know after when everyone puts their hands in the pie because you know you've got the delivery platform and you who you know whatever that that percentage of take is you know my goal was to try to make sure that the podcasters still end up with 70% of that revenue from that advertising by in their pocket so that we didn't cut the pie too many times. And with programmatic, you can do that. You can take me as a host. I can take a less cut because I'm not doing any work. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's just a number now for us, but at the same time, yeah, we got administrative work and that type of thing we have to do. But the attitude of podcasters has changed completely uh, those that want to monetize can, and we don't have to, you know, search for months to try to find them in an, an advertising spot that's Host Red, and then yeah. all the pain that goes with it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so funny, Rob. You mentioned it because I mean, we see a few kind of use cases around who is really gravitating towards programmatic. Number one is is kind of backfill. So, a show that does Host Red ads, they want to, you know, let's be realistic. Like most shows don't sell out every single you know Host Red spot they have, so they go, okay, well. We only sold two out of three, you know, mid-rolls. We'll put a, you know, a programmatic spot in there. We'll get some revenue, lower rate, but it's still something, right? Um, And then we see shows that are essentially, you know, kind of they don't hit the threshold where an ad buyer is typically going to pick them up on a host red and then they can monetize on that. But it's really funny where we have some shows that are actually quite large and they're doing um, host red ads. They're making, you know, I don't know. Literally tens of thousands of dollars a month, primarily on host red. But as the programmatic has grown, they're like, this is pretty nice. Um, <laughs> like you said, even if they're making less dollars um, in terms of the actual CPM, the comment to me has been, it's so easy. And you know, the fill rates are really good and the CPMs aren't that bad.
1: No, they're not that bad.
0: Um, And they're thinking like, man, it's actually not a bad idea just to go 100% programmatic um, just based on the effort.
1: So one thing I'd like to be able to do at some point is I know that you guys publish on a monthly basis what your, or Libsyn or whoever's making that report, Mm -hmm. what your average CPMs are for HostRed. It'd be nice to start and maybe I can get Soundstack to agree to this. Maybe at some point we'll be able to show the average on what programmatic is from a CPM standpoint so that we get that compare and contrast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but, you know,
0: it makes a a lot of sense, Todd, because I think the perception in a lot of cases is that programmatic. And honestly, we try not to even use the word programmatic because it's like a four letter word for some people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, I think the perception is that the rates are like, you know, low single digits when in fact, you know, Partially, it depends on where is it a is it a post roll is it a pre roll is it a mid roll? What's the right, length? Right. You know, that's gonna those are variables, you know. But you know we're seeing programmatic rates in the you know ten to fifteen range yeah. in, in a lot of cases. And when you're selling a host red ad for you know I think our our last average monthly report was maybe around twenty three something. I mean, it's not that big of a difference. Um, and then the other thing with with programmatic is. It's a lot easier if you have a show that does a lot of back catalog, you're opening up the entire catalog. You know, it's, it's quite easy um, to monetize everything, you know, not just your new episode. So when you, when you run the numbers, there's a lot of cases where the two aren't too, too far off in terms of the potential revenue.
1: And I think, too, is what we've seen is similar CPMs, although I'm being very careful in setting expectations and saying, here's the low and here's probably what the high is. And we've been saying five to 15. Now we don't want to see too much five. We want to see more stuff over 10 right. and closer yeah. to 15. That's what we want. But we know that depending on the time of day, depending on the region, depending on the ad, you may, yeah. you, you know, if someone's downloading that show or playing hit play at two o'clock in the morning on the West coast, you you, you might not get the best ad at that time because it really is kind of almost there's, podcasting has been kind of shoehorned a little bit into the programmatic, um, equals here. This so, digital audio. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think that, uh, what we're going to look for is that average, you know, what's that average going to be for that show. And, um, because it, in the end, ultimately what we're going to do is we want to write checks and we want to give the mm-hmm. content creator. And I've talked about this on the show already. And, and actually, uh, Tom Webster actually coined the phrase. So let's see if I can do this here. Don't eat me Tom Webster. I, we want to make sure that um, for the smaller shows, this is a bridge. Uh, you know, it's a bridge to get them to the point where maybe they've grown their audience big enough to where there is a, um, you know, a, a a desire for someone to come in and do a host and get that 23 or $25 CPM mm-hmm. um, it, over the, t- over time, uh, I, We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's one thing for sure is you don't have to spend time going to New York or to L.A. or to San Francisco or to Dallas to explain to a media buyer what programmatic is. Mm-hmm. They just buy it. They they do their they do right. their they know what they want to target and they go from there. And you know the computer buys the, the show. So at least that's what we're seeing
0: yeah so do I mean, one, think- one of the things you mentioned there todd which it's an interesting phenomenon that that i think we've seen specifically on some of the say smaller shows that have kind of opted in for the programmatic is that when they see that first payment it's the first time they've ever made money off their podcast right. <laughs> it's the first time they think about hmm what if my show was bigger <laughs> and i start to think you know what if I take some of this and I put it into promoting my show and growing the show and marketing the show? Um, because that becomes a little bit of a, you know, becomes a little bit of a cycle where they go, Hey, if this is what I'm getting now, what could it be if I was two three four ten 10 times the size, which is kind of interesting. I I you know, wasn't expecting to, to see much of that, but it's, uh, I guess it's human nature, right?
2: Do we think that over time we're going to see um, all podcast advertising head towards the, the, the dynamic ad insertion programmatic type of p- paradigm, um, and that, that the baked in host read will eventually disappear from the market.
1: Well, I, I, based on statistics, 90% of shows. And again, this goes back to the beginning of time of podcasting mm-hmm. 90% of shows doesn't matter. And then they burn their 90% of the lifetime downloads in the first 96 hours. So if it's baked in, so what? You know, very few people are gonna <laughs> hear that episode two years later. It's gonna be ones and twos. Yeah. But for right. so I, I think for some shows it makes sense. For some shows it you definitely wanna do a host red ad inserted mm-hmm. because you wanna re you know, resell that inventory next month.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean really the only the only people who benefit from baked in host red ads are the advertisers that's right in most cases, the direct response advertisers, because they're getting that long tail where, you know, somebody's listening to a true crime podcast six months later and they hear that ad. Right. If you talk to a lot of the brand advertisers, that's a foreign concept for them. They don't want that ad in their six months later. Right. Right. Because the messaging has changed. Um, the offers changed, you know, hearing a black Friday ad right in April makes no sense. So, I mean, to some extent, um, I think the definitely the baked ins are already starting to go a little bit by the wayside. Um, I mean, we still have quite a few shows where they do offer baked in ads. Um, it's simple. Um, the direct response advertisers love it, so it keeps them really interested in in buying those shows. But you know, at some point, I do see it, and I don't know when that's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be you know a year, two years, <laughs> five years from now, but I do see them kind of going away at some point, Rob.
1: But again, I go back to the viability and expense of doing programmatic baked in or programmatic ad inserted. Let's just Mm -hmm. use that word or no, not just ad insertion. They're just doing regular ad Mm -hmm. insertion, not doing programmatic. Um, You know, I've had customers call me and say, hey, we need to do ad insertion. Uh, We want to upgrade our account. And I go in and look at their data and I almost talk myself out of dollars because it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, and you know, and, he, and it really, you can see it in their, in their metric data. Now on the opposite token, there shows, I'm like, my God, how come you haven't been doing ad insertion all this time? Because we've just mm-hmm. left literally tens of thousand dollars on the totally, floor, yeah. you know, right. so it, it can, it can split two ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the model that we use when we're looking at when a show comes to us and says, hey, we want to monetize. And if, let's let's say it's the size of a show that it makes sense to do host write ads for. We always look at every case individually, like if it's a news show that people are listening to that show and today and tomorrow and then that's it. There's no advantage to doing none um, dynamic ad insertion. Just do it baked in. Yeah. Now, the strange part about it is that from an ad buyer's perspective, they see that as more valuable because it's baked in, even though there's literally almost no opportunity for back catalog traffic anyway. So it's a bit of a, you know, it's kind of a bit of a packaging game. And like you said, Todd, sometimes we'll look at a show and that's been doing baked in and we go, you're getting a massive long tail on these, you know, no wonder advertisers love you, but you're also leaving some potential dollars on the, on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think there is, um, you know, a lot of shows don't realize that when they go from baked in to, um, dynamic ad delivery, that their CPMs are going to go down because the secret, the the, kind of the dirty secret Mm -hmm. out there is if that show was getting, you know, an extra 30% of impressions in, you know, six months, the ad buyer was basically banking on that, paying a $25 CPM and really getting something in the teens. Well, if it goes to dynamic ad insertion and that's capped, the ad buyer needs to get something in the teens to get the same ROI. So you right. really have to kind of run the numbers to say, am I going to get many more monetizable impressions at a lower CPM where it actually makes sense? Um, because I think some, some folks are thinking, oh, I can just go to dynamic, charge the same CPM, and make all kinds of more money. And generally speaking, that's not the case.
1: And, and, you know, and it, part of that mindset too, and I'm going to be kind of honest here, and it pisses me off, quite honestly about media buyers is they're like, Oh, let's, I, I want to buy two episodes this month. And I'm like, Oh man, we're just, we're just killing your ROI by just doing two episodes in a month, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, let's say, let's say it's an eight episode a month show and they want to buy two. And I'm like, no, let's, let's buy two months and do fulfill. And then let's get some real ROI out of this, out of this buy. But, oh, no, 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 we want to just do 30 days. And I'm just like, it's your money. And <laughs> I, I've often said that media buyers are a little bit short-sighted in the too long long-term value of running in a show more than a couple times a month. Um, but, again, there's a dynamic there, too. That show has to have a growth curve from an audience standpoint to be able to support that if that show's not growing and is flat then you know running for two months is probably you know you're going to run it for two months probably get the get the most you can out of that and it's going to burn that advertiser out for a while so you know there's i guess there's more than one way to look at it but
2: it's a delicate balance it, sure. it, yeah it is. is i mean the whole question of frequency and Duration of campaign and the um, the repetition, right, of a particular ad, are all kind of like part of the art versus the science. But it can be driven by actual metrics, right, of what's working and what's not working. And that's that's I think where where we kind of get into this area of um, science needs to drive a lot of this is is us um, not overloading audiences with too many ads. Um, because I do see and Todd and I have talked about this a lot on the show about um, ad load starting to yeah. rear its head mainly in big shows um, but those big shows drive a lot of audience which is giving the the larger group of potential listeners out there the impression that um, advertising is maybe overloaded in podcasting and and so while that's not really the case because you know, those ad buys are not wide across thousands of shows. They're only buying across, you know, a few hundred big shows that are overloading with ads and giving audiences the impression that there's too many ads. So Dave, I mean, what's your thought on that? Is there talk in the industry of basically establishing some, some, um, I don't know if standards is the right way or guidelines on on frequency and ad loads and things like that. Mm-hmm. Are we coming together as an industry or is this kind of just a wild, wild west still, you think?
0: Yeah, it's a good point, Robin. I mean, what we've been kind of having an uphill battle with for you know years, because generally mm-hmm. speaking – you know, we have, yes, we have some larger shows that we work with, but we also have a lot of kind of midsize podcasts that are really great shows, really great audience. Um, and our point has always been when a new advertiser comes into the space, the first thing mm. they do is try to get on the largest podcasts out right. there and right. the lion's share of that, the, those dollars, like the net new dollars that are coming into the channel are going to the the bigger shows. And unfortunately what's happened is that the ad loads have gone up on those bigger shows. Um, the effectiveness has gone down because the, you know, for a number of reasons, number one, the, the more demand means the rates are going to go higher. Mm-hmm, um, they're right. probably dynamic ad inserted spots. And let's be honest, the host is getting bombarded with advertisers. They're probably picking up their paper and doing the ad read and, and, and that's it. When you go to kind of like you go down the line, you know, one level, You've got these mid-sized hosts where they might have, you know, a handful of active advertisers in any given month. Um, They want to try the product. They want to talk about it. They want to share it on their social. They want to, you know, um, do a great job for the advertiser so they drive those renewals because renewals are huge. Um, There's a ton of value there. And in general, there's less demand, so the rates might be a little bit more reasonable. So, I mean, that's the battle, you know, kind of that we've been that we've been fighting. Um, and recently we've seen, you know, some shows coming our way that are like, Hey, you know, we want to work with you guys. And, you know, we've been talking to some other networks and rep rep firms out there and here's what they're saying they could generate for, um, total revenue. And we've kind of scratched our heads and we put it in our model and we go, Hey, that seems like a lot. And then they reveal that, you know, they're going to go from, you know, a pre-roll and three mid-rolls and a post-roll to, two pre-rolls, five mid-rolls, and two post-rolls. And we're like, I wouldn't recommend that. Right? (laughs) You know, there's, as much as we love making money, we also love not alienating your listeners and making them all leave. Um, So there's that balance where it's like, take it right up to the line where you're going to add, if you put one more ad in, people are going to start to roll their eyes and then just back it off just one. You know, that's kind of our, (laughs) um, that's kind of our unofficial uh recommendation (laughs) and we have some guidelines that you know we think it's even on our website it's like if your show is this length here's what we recommend and we try to keep it you know on the low side we don't want it to turn into you know i was i saw the this article the other day radio is like i don't know seven minutes per 30 minutes or something like that i forget what the stat was but it's it's pretty wild
1: you know it's it's like my tech show i learned very early on the audience on a 70 minute show would handle two of my host reds, which are longer than 60 seconds. And a third man, they would get pissed off and I start seeing the numbers drop. And so I really kind of learned early on where the, where the breaking point was for that show. And, you know, now that we're running on that show, we're running a pre-roll that's programmatic and then a baked in, um seem to have no issue with the audience, and everyone seems to be pretty happy um They're even mm-hmm. telling me who's advertising so it's it's kind of fun to you know the audience giving you that feedback. Hey, I heard an ad from so and so don't know if they're reacting to it, but at least they're getting you know i guess we want to call it ear earball recognition of who who's actually running ads on the on the program
0: yeah so- and I, th- I think the other thing we're seeing, which is helping. Um, In terms of the acceptance of programmatic is that there, I think there's been a needed mindset shift from the creator's perspective where obviously on host read ads, like you're kind of putting your name on this product when you're Mm -hmm. talking Mm -hmm. about how much you love HelloFresh or that you you better help and it's a great service. Um, But when it comes to an ad for, you know, Toyota being inserted into your show, like that's not necessarily you. Telling your audience that you love Toyota, um, it, it's gonna. It, it, it requires a mindset of like, hey, it's a TV program. You know, the commercial break comes on, you see an ad, <laughs> the show's back on, and I think that's starting to happen. Um, but definitely, um, the more we dig in on the programmatic side, the more you see that. There is definitely, like you were mentioning before, Rob, some kind of like standards, guidelines. Like there are those guidelines out there in standards, but Mm -hmm. let's be honest, not everybody adheres to them. Um, Is everybody who's flighting a programmatic ad on a DSP putting in the proper IAB advertiser category code? I wish they were because it would make our lives a lot easier, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes things sneak through that somebody opted out of that ends up in the show and it's like, hey, why was this ad for mcdonald's in my show when i opted out of the fast food category um and yeah. i don't know i don't i don't know if we should chalk it up to like you know malice or just incompetence in terms of uh, you well,
2: know
0: what's happening a bit of the part, end, yeah. but yeah. um it's it's kind of a that's a tough challenge and, and i'm hoping that'll kind of get cleaned up over time
1: i think when it happens it's closer to the end of the month and people have went in and changed some of their tags a little bit because all of a sudden we see stuff popping into shows that was not, you know, that's where we've seen it's closer to the end of the month where people are trying to get their budget spent the the advertisers. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, we've been pretty, um, at least us and oh, he, he's on Starlink. So he may have lost his signal. So he'll probably be back. There was that, uh, Starlink drop.
0: That wasn't my internet, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was—I couldn't hear you guys all of a sudden, and I had to just—I had to log back in. Sorry about that. So
1: I think that what we'll see ultimately is if if everyone puts the hammer on these vendors, and every time they do that and say, "Hey, you're hurting us," don't do that. and maybe put them in the penalty box for thirty days. Um, I know that Soundstack's been pretty aggressive. We had one that slipped through, um, that was basically a hotel chain, had six hotel chain ads, and then the last two were casino related, and they didn't mark those last two casino related. So all of a sudden, someone's heard of gambling, which we had excluded as part of our initial launch. And mm-hmm. did they go in and change it later, or did they just oversight on the person that was setting up in the DSP? If they were, you know, did, did they not? market correctly so um i know that they had a pretty good talk with that particular vendor and you know it won't happen again hopefully but another thing we see too is we see sometimes spanish ads sneak through into markets (laughs) that would not necessarily it's not necessarily bad where they're being delivered southern california texas you know a lot of uh, border states so it's not necessarily a situation where it was it was a wrong ad to had, but it was definitely an English show with a Spanish ad, so we yeah. see a, a little bit of that as well. And and I tell my audience, I say, if your audience doesn't get mad, chalk that up as a freebie. You know, you just made some money for free. <laughs> so exactly,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think in some of those in some of those cases where you know you say you might get a Spanish ad, um, and you're an English listener, um, in some of those cases, I think that might be due to just you know bad targeting, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these demand side platforms have the ability to target based on essentially device graph data, where it's like, you know, somebody's in market for uh, an automobile or they're, you know, shopping for auto insurance or they're a Spanish Spanish language speaker. Um, That data, as great as it sounds and as as, um, useful as it is from a sales perspective to go out there. And, you know, um, sell advertising, it's not perfect by any right, means. Right. Um, but you know, that, that, that could be part of the issue there. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're looking at some solutions now around, Hey, do we, you know, transcribe the ads that come through and match them up against a category to see like, Hey, did somebody put a political ad and market as uh, restaurants
1: <laughs> because
0: that's not great. Right. And we want to be able to to find that out before it becomes an issue.
1: Well, if, you know, I think the transcribe piece is smart too. You know, we've just recently added the ability to have closed captions. So what we're seeing is, is those ad, those shows that have, um, ads in them, um, that throws the the transcription off because we've already time hacked it. And then all of a sudden we throw a 30 second pre-roll on. So what we opted to do is we're not actually going to do the highlighting of the, um, whenever there's an ad there, we're not actually going to highlight the closed caption anymore because it's not true follow-along. It'll still be there. The, the, the wording will still be there, but the follow-along as it plays will not. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, that it's one of those things that you just kind of like, okay, you know, little by little, we'll figure this out, and maybe at some point we'll be able to even have uh, closed caption for the ads. They do in regular television and on, you know, on most other stuff, so why can't we have it?
2: Yeah, so I was just gonna kind of mention something else here too. Um, like we were talking about before, how we're we're shifting away from host reads, right? Um, and one wh- one of the strengths of host reads, and we've talked about it a little bit here, is the personal nature of it. It's the it's the endorsement nature um, of that that has always produced good ROI for the advertisers. Um, is that host endorsed and, but as we move into programmatic and as we move into, um, probably more and more, we're going to move away from the host actually reading those ads. Um, how do you think we can still embrace that personal nature, um, of Mm -hmm. the, of the ad in programmatic in the dynamic ad insertion still Kind of, kind of retain that um, in in the ad that will that actually historically has produced that strong ROI, um, and that gets back to you know ad content, right? Um, ad yeah. creative. Um, For sure. Is there any yeah. uh, movement that you're seeing, Dave and and Todd also on this um, of the agencies really taking that into consideration when they produce uh, spots? Yeah, I definitely don't think,
0: I mean, I don't, I don't think host reads are going away. I just think, you know, from our perspective, if you look at our business, like the host reads are still the lion's share of our ad revenue and they're going to continue to be for the foreseeable future. But what's going to happen is that programmatic piece I think is going to accelerate faster just in terms of like a, you know, percentage year on year. And at some point it's going to start to, you know, get to the point where it's kind of leveled out and who knows, maybe surpass it at some point. And I think this is almost like a bigger point, Rob. And this is one of the things that, you know, at podcast movement um, at the sounds profitable session, somebody was talking about, you know, the kind of the programmatic ad creative and the mistake that a lot of buyers make is like, Oh, I got this great radio spot. Let's just pop that in there and you know, that'll work just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And we spend so much time, you know, as media people, optimizing targeting and optimizing frequency capping and optimizing this and optimizing that. And then we have bad creative, um, like it falls let's, apart. Right. there's a huge opportunity for somebody to put together a creative agency that only focuses on podcast ads. And I think somebody mentioned that, you know, at that session in, in Dallas, it's like, if you could just focus on that, Go to the brands and say, don't use your radio spots. Um, you know, we'll come up with something that's set. like, even though it's not a host red ad, it fits the, you know, it's like informative, educational, integrated. Um, it almost comes across as like, you could, the, the ideal ad for me in, ter- in terms of podcast programmatic is you can't tell whether this is an ad that's inserted by some third party system or whether it's the show or like the network that did like a producer red ad. You know, right. when you hear an ad on, I don't know uh, Vox or NPR, where it's like not the host, it's somebody else, and you go, oh, it's probably like somebody who like works for that network. It's a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, to me is like an ideal um, creative format, and I think that's uh, should be something that buyers should really, really
2: focus on as the creative side.
1: But you know, well, there's seems like there's help never help budget for creative the radio
2: side too. <laughs> Can help the the radio side of the equation as well. Yeah. I mean, look, what about like celebrity
0: endorsements? I mean, there's a crazy idea. I mean, that's been going on in TV and radio for, you know, how many years? I think that's a great idea for podcasts.
1: Yeah. Todd, go ahead. I just, you know, it's, we had worked on some of this in the early days and I know maybe things have changed, but you know, the creative that was coming across in the, in the actual reads was just horrible. So, you know, we would spend time and get that, Get that creative right for the actual host and sometimes it was it was more talking points than it was actual you know hardcore read and um you know we really spent a lot of time on that and you know that was time that i had to take out a hide and it was not necessarily because we were small so it was you know it was one it wasn't insequential amount of you know potent you know how much am i worth an hour or whatever to do ad copy you know so I think that uh you're right. I think there's a great opportunity out there. But oftentimes, uh, you know, at least before, you used to hear well there's no there's no uh budget for creative in audio. Now there's plenty of budget for creative in television because they got to shoot an ad. You know, but they don't take the same in my opinion, they don't take the same value of the ad they're going to push on TV and they're going to put on radio or podcast. So I don't know. I don't know if we can change that mm-hmm. mindset.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, right now, what we do in terms of, you know, somebody comes over and they want to run a campaign. If it's like a produced spot, you know, we try to spend some time with them. We're not, you know, by any means, you know, creative geniuses, but we'll try to spend time knowing what we know about podcast advertising, helping them with the the copy. And then there are some, um, you know, kind of like studios out there that you can work with that'll produce a spot at a reasonable cost, you know, a couple hundred, a few hundred dollars. Um, And it's good quality, but it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to cost 10 grand. I mean, you can get something done for a few hundred dollars. But if you're going to spending, you know, $20,000 on a, on a small campaign, I mean, that works out.
1: But if you're going to spend, you know, if you're going to spend $20,000 on a campaign and you want the ad to change every week and you're going to have four pieces of creative, you know, there's gotta be enough meat on the bone for someone to actually start a creative agency that actually can make a living off this and not just Mm -hmm. earn pennies, you know? So that means volume, you know, lots of volume. And then when you're dealing with lots of volume, then does quality go down? So it's, uh, you know, there's a little horse trading, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I There's potentially, uh, it's, you know, here's the thing about that. And I heard someone say this recently, you can make a lot of money on things that are hard and that's definitely a hard one. So if you're willing to do the work and, and put it in there, you probably can do very, very well. Um, if you are to form an agency that but did nothing but creative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've been looking at, um, there's some pretty cool technology out there. Um, we were looking at it from Veritonic and they have some, they have some tools that actually you can run creative through their, you know, AI platform and it'll say, Hey, if you're all state and you have three different ads that you think might work for a campaign, you can run them through the, you know, their tools and it'll give you an assessment based on all these different variables, uh, which is kind of interesting because it's, it's a bit of a, you know, uh, a scientific way to assess different creative. Um, and one of the things that we were looking at is maybe leveraging that for host red ads to say, Hey, you know, here's some feedback on your host red ad next time. It's oh, you know, interesting. You can tweak it a little bit you know, to make it a little bit more interesting or make it more engaging or, you know, those types of things. So um, I think there's a ton of opportunity on the creative side to optimize. You
1: know. and, and as Tom said during his presentation at podcast movement, that the performance difference between a host red ad and a good produced another host read ad mm-hmm. by someone third party, that, delta in performance was pretty small and that was huge yeah yeah that was huge and i think you know be honest with you i think i i kind of shook my head yes the whole time he was talking about that because we've done that a little bit in the past and there was you know we've seen good impact so i i guess i wasn't surprised but it was nice to see it quantified and uh for sure yeah and for
0: me i was expecting because if you think about like say you're so let's say you're a buyer and you've got a, a host red ad, you know, at 25 bucks and you have a programmatic ad at I don't know 30 40% off of that rate. I was expecting to see kind of, you know, that um that kind of variation in terms of the effectiveness, but it was great to see that, you know, a good producer red ad was, you know, not that far off performance-wise because I think that's that 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 goes um
1: Goes you know, to, that's like,
0: a positive thing when you talk when you talk about programmatic.
1: Yeah, because then we can drive up from fifteen. So what's mm-hmm. the difference? Okay, if the if the if the documented difference is ten percent. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending twenty five on an ad, then logic would say we should be able to bring that ad in at twenty one, twenty two, and you get the same performance on the money spent. Because you know, in the end, they're they're backing the numbers out. They're looking mm-hmm. at how much they spend and how much of an ROI they've got. And I think they'll be fine. I think it'll help drive. If, if in other words, if it all depends on creative execution. But if we get creative execution up, we could drive programmatic CPMS up. Now the media totally. buyers don't want to hear that. But if they're <laughs> getting the same performance, if they're getting good performance, then they should not have a problem paying.
0: Absolutely. But well, we have was, to make. I, I was. I was pretty. Uh, I was on the edge of my seat when Tom was doing that presentation, it was super interesting.
2: Yeah. So should we drop the term programmatic when it comes to referring to this? Um, Like I think uh, you alluded to, uh, I think Dave is that it, it's got baggage with it, right? Um, that isn't positive. it,
0: It certainly has, you know, some negative connotations right around just like, you know, race to the bottom in terms of rates. um, Right. You know, that type of thing. I don't know what the right term is, right? Um, maybe we can come up with something together.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I don't necessarily consider it a negative, um, at yeah. least from the content creator standpoint, if, if the ads are good and they're not getting complaints from their audiences and the advertisers are happy. Mm-hmm. Um, why is there a dirty word? Because I don't think it's a race to the bottom anymore.
2: Yeah. But is it a perception of the buyers thinking that this is, this is
1: um, not premium inventory? Well, that's, that's, the job of Soundstack and at ad- by ad- Advertisecast to reject that stuff.
2: Yeah, know? and I think I mean it is changing. I mean the CPMS have been going up. So, I mean, and, you know, we
1: we don't radio. want to be in the residual market. You know, that's but, that's because every podcast listen is is not like listening at two o'clock in the morning to radio.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so. I don't know if I use the right word. What is the ads that run at two o'clock in the morning on radio? What's it called? Uh, remnant. remnant. Remnant, yeah. Remnant inventory. Yeah, right. this is not remnant inventory. Mm-hmm. Which so, is
2: what's been historically associated with programmatic. Um,
1: so I think that's the story yeah. we have to start mentioning right. is you're getting the value of a truly engaged listener with the ease of how you've bought... Or maybe I shouldn't even say this ease of how you've bought Remnant in the past, but you're going to get value. But I don't know the stuff that we've been hearing has not sounded like Remnant. We've been hearing Microsoft ads. Yeah. We've heard, oh yeah, you know, it's, totally. Yeah.
0: No, and, the, and and the reality is, I think Todd, most of the brands that are doing programmatic and podcasts are bigger brands that have bigger budgets, want to control the messaging, Um, and. You know, yeah, you'll hear some, you know, smaller, I don't know, mom and pop regional stuff, but the lion's share is, you know, kind of blue chip, large brands.
1: But if I was a mom and pop, you know, I've had lots of people come to me over the years say, we want to focus on Seattle or we want to focus on, you know, the, the Northeastern sector, whatever it may be. You know, this yep. is an opportunity where you could, as a regional advertiser, you could now start getting into some podcasts. Now, it's not going to cost them a lot, but at the same time, yeah, for sure. you know, it will be fill that it, it may make up the difference between an 80% fill rate and a 100% fill rate. If we get the local car dealers to run an ad, you know, again, they're going to run across 30 podcasts in the region to, to get what they want, but I think this is where we can start seeing, us start to impact radio revenue.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, a few years back, we do, we did, we did some campaigns with some that were like those kind of regional, <clears throat> um, targeted campaigns with some car dealership groups, and I kind of thought, gee, I wonder what, I wonder what regional car dealerships spend a year on advertising. And I looked it up in the context that, of course, in the podcast world, we're doing—you know—at the time, I don't know, it was not even a billion dollars. I think it was something like regional car dealers spend twelve billion dollars a year on advertising.
1: Well, I have a local
0: advertising. So unlocking those (laughs) budgets is huge.
1: I have a very, very good friend, family friend. Uh, They've been in a car used car sales business for twenty years. They buy across four radio stations. They spend over two hundred thousand dollars a year on yeah. local radio advertising. So let's let's take twenty grand of that or ten grand of that a year, and let's let's buy some podcasts in a regional yeah. way. And I and they they try to reach like seven counties. So it's like a you just draw a circle fifty miles around their dealership. That's what they try to reach. So that's that's a pretty big area
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and and you know a lot of the um dsps today have the capabilities to do pretty granular geo-targeting you know based on zip codes or counties or dmas and all that good stuff so it's that's definitely an untapped opportunity for for kind of regional advertisers go
1: right down to a nielsen region Mm -hmm. you know
2: Guys, where are we right now, um, just to help everyone understand what the marketplace for this really looks like, uh, is um, self-service programmatic versus hand-holding programmatic or sales rep-managed programmatic. Um, And is there a difference there? And are we even in the realm yet of pure auction-based buying yet?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, there there definitely are the there there is that
0: going on. Um, but I think actually there was maybe even a sounds profitable article this week that we, mm-hmm. we are kind of using the term programmatic as a bit of a catch all. Like for example, um, you know, Megaphone has their MTM, which mm-hmm. is now Spotify Audience Network. That is not programmatic. Like that is right. them flighting ads on their own platform. There's nobody buying that via DSP like the 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 whole concept of programmatic is that it is somebody sitting at their desk, you know, a buyer other an agency or the, a brand buyer themselves, you know, buying that bidding like, on it and buying right. the inventory. Right. Right. I definitely think that in the podcast world, that is like probably the biggest area that's going to grow. Um, you know, we've had some conversations with some of the DSPs like the Trade Desk and 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 folks like that and that's a big focus for them is to get as much content as they can because they're seeing you know, more and more demand from those buyers to say, look, this is how we're buying a bunch of other media. We want to buy podcasts the same way. So mm-hmm. I think it's just going to get, um, you know, a lot more of that actual programmatic stuff, um, you know, going and accelerating over the next little while.
2: So is that going to take time for the, the larger buyers to adapt to that? Um, because
1: they've been used to having, you know,
2: a, a person come in and call on them to pitch, opportunities
1: right i i I think it's purely a volume issue when you get a thousand two thousand three thousand ten thousand shows let's say between libsyn and blueberry that are on that have opted in to programmatic then all of a sudden there is a big much bigger pie of content for these you know all of a sudden it's like wow there's some serious and maybe it means to me more than 10,000. Maybe it needs to be 50,000 shows that's going to be in the pool. And I think once that's the case, what have they been buying now? They've been buying live streams, right? And what what's the total number of live streams in space? I don't know what that number is, but I guarantee there's more podcasts than there are live stream streams. So the have
2: in the audience,
1: <laughs> right? And right. so I, I, I think that, uh, all we need to do is now that at least on my part is we want to bring in as many podcasters to get on and make that inventory available. Uh, And the beauty is, is I don't have to tell a media buyer, a media buyer isn't going to tell me, well, we don't want your old inventory. We only want new episodes. I I turned on 620 episodes, Mm -hmm. a back catalog. Now, You know, episode one that was recording, episode three that was recorded in 2004 is going to get zero. But, but it's turned on, right? It's there. It can be monetized. And very, it, that's a big piece, too, is because oftentimes media buyers on traditional buys, they don't want back catalog. They just want the fresh. So I, I think there's just a huge availability. You guys know how much inventory we're leaving on the table. I know how much. Sure, yeah. I, know, I know how many hundreds of millions of downloads are not being monetized. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all of them want to be. Let's say 50% of them do. So let's say just from Blueberry alone, let's say there's 100 million impressions that could be monetized by the podcaster just flipping a switch. That, that changes the dynamic. You add Libsyn to this model, you get you know, everyone else. And all of a sudden, there is a true huge amount of content that can be bought and fairly well targeted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think the reality is, Rob, that these buyers who are used to buying other things via DSP, you know, from their desk without talking to anybody, they are dying to get their hands on, like Todd said, a, a lot of scale, a lot of inventory. Um, and I think that's a big push right now. I think the other thing that's keeping some of those kind of buyers on the sidelines is somewhat around you know, some of the concerns around brand suitability and brand safety. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of things in the works on that front. There's, you know, I, I think I've talked to three or four different vendors that are essentially able to, you know, kind of weed that stuff out so that when they're doing their programmatic buys, their ads are not going to land where they don't want them to land. And I think that being something that's very you know, easily accessible is going to open up a lot of those buys, too, because let's be honest, like there's a lot of podcasts. Um, and if I was a buyer that has the choice of buying, you know specific, you know, radio stations where there's, you know, guidelines and uh, Mm -hmm. things that govern what they can say and what they can't say versus hundreds of thousands of podcasts. Like I might sway that way just to make sure I don't get in trouble. Um, So I think the brand safety piece as that evolves is going to really open up some of those budgets too.
1: Yeah. And again, I, you know, I really hate that word to be honest with you. That's, (laughs) that's a almost a four letter word for me, brand safety, because, I look at how the podcasting space was built and what we did with advertising when brand safety, it was a different time, you know, different sensibilities, different. It's
2: a, yeah. It's a reflection of how things have changed. Yeah. And, and, and people's right.
1: sensibilities, but you know, some of those shows that were really out there on the fringe did the best, you know, yeah, they, absolutely. they really did. They rocked it, but you know, you, you get a, you know, someone's talking about, a specific topic, and brands are now scared to death because all it takes is one tweet to say,
2: Oh my god
1: you're you're on this yeah. show,
2: yeah, and we talked about yeah. this extensively in last week's episode of this show uh, that was related to brand safety and and what shows what there is movement in the industry to identify that and to yeah. at least. Have knowledge of it before an advertiser makes a commitment.
1: But I will reach out to Adam and Dave if you guys are still listening. I will not allow nutrition labels for podcasts. Okay, so <laughs> uh, that that to me raises the ire. I think what we can do is, some that nice. wants to opt in, there can internally be a determination where that show falls in a brand safety mm-hmm. spectrum internally. That can be done that we I never want to put a label on any show ever, you know, well, it would be yeah, public. I agree. I think
0: the, the models that I think make the most sense that I've seen out there is, yeah. and, the, and again, let's keep in mind that there's brand safety and there's brand suitability brand safety. Yeah. It's black or white. The brand safety if it's unsafe, it's off the table. Like, and a lot right. of these models, that stuff's never going to get ads delivered against it. Period. And then if you think about brand suitability, let's call it. There's you know green, yellow, red. Green is like you know no profanity, nothing controversial. Um, yellow is kind of in between, and red is like the edgier stuff. And like you said, Todd, a lot of that edgier stuff oftentimes drives the best results because the audience <laughs> is like super engaged and right. and whatnot. Right. But it's kind of like put it out there to the buyer to say, look, you can have your green, you can have your yellow, you can have your red. Different brands might have different appetites depending on where they want to land. And this is giving them the ability to do that. And that model I think is super interesting. Um, but like, you know, the safety versus suitability discussion is, is always an interesting one.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, there's going to be some, but we're going to have at some point, there's going to be something that will pop off. One of us will have a show that gets something in it that a brand is going to get some feedback on and it'll bring this to a head. But, uh, you know, I'm, you know, as we're, you know, it's one thing it was like when we started doing ads with the tech network, one of my requirements of that And it's tech, right? So why do you need to be cussing during a tech show? So we're like, you know, if you, if you can't be, and this was in 2006, 2005, you know, so if you can't not swear on your show, and then once in a while you'll say something i'll even pop off on this show once in a while i'll say something um if you can't keep your tongue in check then we're not going you can't be part of the network you can't we can't run ads because we can't you know even at that point we're trying to be careful so then yeah. y- your opportunity is you're going to have to do something else and if you if you're worried about pissing off a an advertiser, then value for value is your model. You go and ask your, you know, your listeners for a donation. You figure out a different way to monetize. So it'll be up to the content creator on which way they want to go. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's some shows out there that they know that they would demon, be demonetized immediately because the advertiser say, oh, no, no, no. We can't be associated with this because you're saying that. Then that, po- the podcaster has to understand themselves what they're setting themselves up for. And if they want to be free willing and say whatever they want to say and they want to get that, you know, if, the, if you at Advertise cast or us or, or Soundstack says, oh, this show's a little edgy, it needs to put it in that edgy category. Again, I hate putting labels on shows because the shows can change from episode to episode.
0: So for sure. Yeah and, yeah. and that's exactly. And when I was talking about that model before of like the yellow, green, red and unsafe, I mean, I've seen models that look at that by episode. So that, you know, you might have a show that's green, 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 and they go off the rails one episode, and that one episode is all of a sudden, you know, in a different bucket. And it's funny, uh, Todd, I mean, ironically enough, I think I've had more, since we kind of got into the whole programmatic game here, I've probably had more issues of podcasters complaining about ads that they don't want (laughs) than brands complaining about shows that they don't want. That's funny. (laughs) Right. It's almost like... Right. Add, right now, ad suitability is probably the uh, the bigger challenge for us than brand than uh, brand suitability on the on the show side.
1: In in our version one of our rollout, we excluded seven or eight categories. We didn't give the podcasters a choice to pick their categories. Mm-hmm. But in round two, if they want to have marijuana or CBD or if they want to have politics, they can turn those categories on. Um, one show that came back said, Hey, we can't run right now. Cause I was getting fast food on a show that I'm talking about weight loss. And so yep. I understand he's going to want to turn off fast food. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he'll be able to come back when we, when we put out MBB two for at least what we've done. And it's, it's just growing. I think we're all going to figure out over time. And the main thing I'm, you know, took a hands off as as I'm going to let Soundstack worry about the management of the ads. And then if we have an issue, we'll talk to them and, and they're, that's what they do for a living. It's just like you guys, that's what you guys do. I, I, I'm, I don't want to do that at least on programmatic. So.
2: Yeah. And on the topic of suitability, I think it, that's a pretty big topic area too. And I was wanting to kind of dig into that a little bit too. And, and how that suitability is, um, um, determined, right? What's oh. the methodology of how suitability is actually determined? and i I think and and Dave, I don't know what what the companies you've talking to are basing this on, but the importance of transcripts um, mm-hmm. are are increasingly becoming important from a suitability evaluation standpoint, targeting, I mean, as we start thinking about privacy and we start thinking about the sensitivity of IP. Um, um, how important do you guys think uh, transcripts are going to be in unlocking these these needs in the market?
0: I mean, I think transcripts are always the basis for all of this stuff. Um, right. I think the most interesting models that I've seen around this brand suitability are the ones that use the transcripts, mm-hmm. score it automatically, AI you know, scoring, and mm-hmm. then anything that's flagged as like a high risk. Gets re- like manually reviewed or like has a mm. secondary, you know, kind of review yeah. process to it where somebody goes, Oh, somebody said their portfolio got murdered. Okay. Well, that's not, you know, that's a right. finance term, you know, that's not talking about right. murder. So we're going to make that right. one instead of red. It's, you know, green or yellow or whatever. So, um, you know, I think that's the most interesting one because we've actually run a test with one of those platforms where we said score it and then. Re, then do the secondary process. And it was interesting to see, it was actually fairly accurate. There was, you know, the thing that you saw most often was something they thought was red got backed off to like a green or yellow mm. um, just by virtue of, and you can imagine all the different terms out there that people are going to use that aren't, you know, as controversial when you hear have a human listen to it and go, okay, well, the context is is a lot different right. than what the AI thought it was.
1: So how do we do the opposite though? I'm more worried about the creator than the advertisers. So how do we protect the listeners as well from getting these ads that are, well, not appropriate, you know, because some advertisers are going to push the, how, how do we, how do we, how do we punish a company that puts a gambling ad in the dsp that is been marked for hotels or something like that and they have classified it wrong how how where's the reverse where where can the punishment come back to the yeah. advertiser
0: i mean there's got to be smarter people out there than me that can solve that problem but yeah. it's when you think about like when you like you know todd when you think about um the way that this whole thing works is I could have a podcast that I put out there, and there's, you know, 500 downloads that happen today, mm-hmm. and there's three ad spots. There could literally be hundreds of different ads going. That's in, right. You know, on those 500 downloads. That's right. Um, depending on where you are, who you are, you know, how many times you've heard a certain ad on different shows on on your show, and so it's a very, you know dynamic situation that somebody you know needs to um needs to deal with and, and i'm not sure i really don't so
1: know. it's all it's almost like okay you're asking us to be safe and provide mm-hmm. content that's not going to hurt your brand well there there has to be some other reciprocation and i'm sure it's just going to be outliers that's going to cause issues but there has to be some sort of and you know I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this, but how do, you know, how do I protect the brand of the podcast? That's I right.
0: Mean, I think it should fall on the DSPs, right? Like if they have, you know, some way or some review process. Now, obviously they want to give their buyers and users as much flexibility and freedom as they can, but, you know, have something in there to say, look, you know, somebody ran this political ad and they categorized it as food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's a problem.
1: It's a and, problem. And like
0: like you said, Todd, it's kind of funny where, you know, we're talking so much about, well, we want to make sure that these ads don't end up on a, you know, sketchy podcast. <laughs> well, what about a sketchy ad ending up on my non-sketchy podcast, Right. Yeah. Right? Um, it's.
1: You're running a conservative up. podcast and you also all of a sudden yeah. get a, or vice versa and you get an opposite. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, okay, did you want yeah, that I ad? Mean, I'd, <laughs> I'd love That's to the hear. same thing that
2: happened with the, you know, um, uh, with the the liquor brand right. the advertising on a so- sobriety podcast yeah. right yeah. that was a
0: not so good I mean, i'd love to hear from <laughs> a, a programmatic you know expert around right. how this how all these things interplay and what they think might be a good solution here and 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 who should be you know accountable i mean ultimately i think it's the it's the person who's going and flighting that ad that should be accountable and yeah you know accidents happen right mm-hmm. and now i think maybe I don't know if it's a bigger issue but it's part of the issue is that I don't know if you guys have ever reviewed the IAB categories. I have oh, I, I'm a, maybe I, I'm just a total nerd or I was using this, at, but at, I, I have I, it on my <laughs> desk right now. Like it's literally on my desktop on my computer. Yeah. They're not great. Like no. where, like where do you put certain things, mm-hmm. right? Like well, I don't know. That needs um, to be
2: reviewed.
1: You know, cannabis
0: and updated. is right. legal in many states. Where do you where do you categorize that? There isn't a category.
1: So what we have to do is we have to go back to IEB and say, hey, yeah. and we're all, we're both members. So we have to go back and say, hey, we, we need these additional ad categories. Mm-hmm. And go to that specific committee and say, okay, it's time to expand. And yeah. maybe that's part of that. Maybe we have to do our due diligence and go back to IEB and say, hey, 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 this isn't granular enough. Yeah, I
0: think that's part of it. I mean, the categories are you know, yeah. they need to keep pace, keep pace with the times, right. And a little bit more. Um, but I do think, you know, there's, there's some mistakes, there's some, maybe some bad actors. Um, and there may be just some kind of mechanisms or policing that needs to be done in the middle there somewhere.
1: So, you know, I'm sure there's folks listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this, this specific topic. So we, you know, we brand safety from a podcast standpoint to the vendor has been talked to death, but Again, and it's, I'm sure it's just going to be onesie twosies, you know, mm-hmm. but those are the ones that always make headlines. You know, look at the thing that happened, you know, like Rob said, the, what was it, uh, which company advertised on Wild that? Turkey. Yeah, Wild Turkey on that show on Spotify. Well, they made news, you know, um, yeah. it wasn't good for Wild Turkey, it wasn't good for the podcaster. So, in well, essence, I don't
2: know. It, it, it probably was good for both of them, but well. it's just a matter of, of <laughs> your perspective on it. Right. But, um, but it it's not good for the industry because, I mean, it was yeah. a, obviously a classic example of mistargeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a,
0: even, if it, an exposure. even if one potential ad buyer sees that and goes, oh, no, I'm not getting involved with that. Like, it's not right. good. Um, it's not good for the industry, like you said,
2: Rob. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that the, that, podcasters have always thought about their audience first. And I think that is the other thing that I I like to think about too, in the context of all this is, is uh, at the end of the day, uh, this medium values the connection between listeners and the creators. Right. And advertisers have always been kind of like, you know, welcomed in the door on a limited way. Right. Um, And, and brought into the relationship in a gradual and, fragile approach. Right. And, and so I would love to see that level of, um, responsibility continuing, right. To some degree, as we move into another phase in podcasting with heightened commercialization of this, this medium, and that may be too much to ask for in the scheme of things. And because we've certainly seen some players in the industry start to play with, um, ad models that are mirroring what we've experienced with radio. And that's not
1: good. The the desire to make the almighty buck is very, very strong. And it's the desire to raise revenues on all points is, is very strong. Uh, but, you know, we've all had ad deals come in from a vendor that I look at this and I go, eh, it just, just reading it, I get a bad taste in my mouth, (laughs) you know? And I'll be like, no, uh, we're not going to present this to the content creator. I don't care how much money you have. I'm walking away from this. And because I know the content creator is going to see it and they're going to go, that's sketch. So what happens now when some of those same players come in and their ads are on borderline... You know, let's say they're doing some sort of lead magnet for whatever they're trying to sell. Some of that stuff can be a little sketchy. And um, right. I think this is where there has to be almost, um, I don't want to say you have to earn a trust score or something like that. But there has to be something set because the the desire to make money is going to make most people say, oh, okay, we'll run that. That, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just going to run across a number of shows. No one's going to notice. We'll spend their $5,000. and
2: Yeah, which is exactly what happened in radio. You know, right. On the commercial radio so, side. Is, yeah.
1: So I, I think we, if we can keep that junk out, what that does is two things, really, is it builds podcaster confidence that this stuff that's going to be presented to their audience is going to be palatable. And number two, we can drive CPMs up because the value we've not under, we're not, we we're or we're not giving those content creators this sketchy remnant stuff that you hear at two o'clock in the morning on, on talk radio. So I think that is, you know, if we, if we can figure out where that happy medium is, then we'll, we'll drive CPMs up, keep the value of the audience up, keep the audiences happy. Obviously there's the other piece on podcasters, keeping the brands happy, but you know, it's, yeah. it's a two way street here in my opinion.
2: Yeah. This is a it's a changing time in the podcasting medium um as we, you know, push in this this direction and I think that the industry is more and more coming together, it, you know, it I would say it is helpful that the Sounds Profitable um entity now exists to help guide this um the, the, this pathway in the industry and And we should probably have Brian and Tom back on on the show at some point to kind of kind of elaborate on some of these things too, as we bring the industry together to come up with best practices in this this particular area. I I don't know, Mm -hmm. Dave. Do you do you have any other parting thoughts or things? I think, like you said,
0: I think you said, Rob. It's um, this is a new this is kind of a new paradigm in podcasting. Like even from my own personal perspective, like seeing that this is coming, like I've been reading books about, you know, (laughs) you know, programmatic and educating myself and, um, over the last several years. And I think it's, um, you know, like, like you said, you know, Tom and Brian and sounds profitable, kind of educating people about, Hey, here's what this means. Here's what the industry is doing. Here's, you know, what can happen in the future. Um, I think that's keys. Everybody kind of, learning and understanding, you know, what this all means and, and, uh, continuing to help drive the industry forward in terms of revenue, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, making sure we don't, you know, kind of, um, harm, you know, what we've got going on in the space in terms of like the audience engagement, great quality content and that type mm-hmm. of thing. And, and, and mm-hmm. kind of, there's a balance there somewhere.
1: Cause I, I feel that, five years ago, podcasters would not be as accepting as they are, what we're seeing so far. And now we have an opportunity and if we screw this up, we're going to set ourselves back two or three years. So I think we have to, you know, really focus on this and make sure that we're delivering the best experience we can, um, because if we do, we build trust in the content creators to do this. And I've been very frank to all of our content creators that are participating now. I'm like, you hear a bad ad, I want to know immediately. You know, I want you to, uh, my telephone number is public, my email is public, you email me that, and it doesn't matter if it's a Saturday or Sunday, we're going to react. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's it's really, you know, it's really important to me that we maintain the podcasters, trust because if they trust us, then they build confidence in the space, and they'll encourage fellow podcasters to say, "Hey, you can turn this on at libsyn you can turn this on at uh, Blueberry, you can turn this on wherever you know whoever else has uh, programmatic, and be self-confident that uh, we're not going to piss their audience off."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Todd, I so, want to change
2: change the subject sure. actually in the last couple of minutes here too, but I'm I'm sure both of you guys have been hearing talk about uh, what's what's rumored going on with Patreon.
1: Um, oh, bad. Af- I don't know
2: if you wanted to to share a- anything on that or if you've had any thoughts on what's going on with Patreon.
1: 17% um, reduction in workforce as of today, 80 less employees.
2: Yeah. And their, their rumored um, involvement in, you know, underage content on their platform
1: Um, oh yeah
2: i don't know if you heard about that no i didn't see
0: that no i just saw Mm. the i just saw the layoff news
2: yeah so there's a lot of talk um online about that platform um having issues some potential legal issues uh with you know you know underage content being offered on their platform
1: you would think that they would that would be something that they would be hot and heavy on.
2: They are, they are. But I'm also seeing a lot of talk, talk in the industry of people moving to other platforms off of Patreon because of these rumors. I don't know if they're substantiated yet or not. I don't want to substantiate anything that isn't substantiated yet. But that's that's a hot thing that's brewing in the industry right now.
1: Well, that's why uh, my listeners can contribute on PayPal. I don't need, and same for this show. We don't mm-hmm. we. We don't have an integration with Patreon. Right. But it's, is, so. it is interesting, though, because when I was at um, out at DragonCon, it was everybody was talking about Patreon. And I'm like, why? Why do you need Patreon when you can do this yourself without being in, you know, you get less money taken mm-hmm. away from you. Yes, they've given you some tools, but this is fully capable of being able to do your own rewards on your own site without having to involve a third party. Mm -hmm. but it's just easy that's probably the, the big reason why they're using it
2: yeah yeah and i think that there has been a shift in the the online content space towards premium content more and more i mean i think we're seeing movement in that direction that's been going on for for a couple of years now um private content that kind of stuff it's been 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 developing
0: yeah, and I think I mean there's a lot more options now too, right? For that, mm-hmm. um, there's mm-hmm. you know the Apple subscriptions, there's third right. party tools like you know we've got Glow, there's Supercast, there's you know yep. all kinds of different platforms that you can kind of facilitate right. and actually facilitate somewhat of a smoother experience on on the podcast yep. side than you could you know via Patreon. So
2: yeah, there's, yeah, of also more options. Out it's there also now. available in, uh, in 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 Spotify too. You, you can. You can do it on third parties into Spotify as well. So, so if you're, if you are looking to move beyond Patreon as this, this scandal develops, um, there are other alternatives out there.
1: So, so Rob, uh, anything else going on in the space that we should Um, talk about before we get out of here today?
2: I, I think we, I think we. We filled our listeners up with lots of uh, things to think about when it comes to advertising. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you you, you can think of, or or well, Dave? Is there anything else? Not off the top of my head, no. Well, yeah. Okay.
1: I think the main thing too was I don't know if you listened to Adam and Dave on the last podcast two point show. They made a couple of minor references to us, but. Um, I think that, um, what we need to be careful of is, um, applying labels to shows. I get real, real worried about that type of a scenario where all of a sudden a show is labeled a certain way. And if, you know, if it's one thing to do something internally when it comes to advertising and and having a, a personal conversation with a content creator, but putting a label on someone's show and having that public I, i'm i'm very much against that um it it really kind of goes against the open nature of the space in my opinion yeah
2: that's interesting
1: and i i you know i that there was a little hint and i, I you know when we talked to the gentleman from oxford road he made a comment about that and you know basically a nutrition label for podcasts and and i you know it really kind of i sat there thinking about it as we we're having that conversation and that really just grinds me a little bit the wrong way especially when it comes to independent content creators um because let's be frank there's probably 50 percent of people that listen to the show that have no desire whatsoever to monetize their podcast and well, Todd,
2: i think he was really kind of kind of Kind of referring to more of
1: kind of like the brand suitability stuff. Um, well, I know that's exactly like a what scoring
2: it was. Yeah. S- system for that, right? But I would like, hate to
1: see yeah. something ever come out where all of a sudden there was some third party that is doing a a scoring of shows and that becomes some sort of public oh yeah public okay. thing. That would to me it's like that's the ha- all of a sudden you're being you, you who's one to judge about one's content. You know, if we want to be remain to be open, we there should not be a a score we put. It's not like podcasts are going to make you fat. You know, it's not like we're going to have too much sodium in our, uh, you know, in our well, podcast. Like a movie consumption. like you know uh, PG <laughs> thirteen right. or NC seventeen. Right, right. Um, right. And I that makes me you know when we start wanting to talk about putting labels on shows, that just really. It doesn't set right. Now, again, a company can do whatever they want internally for a suitability right. for they want to do advertising. But I think most shows know whether or not they're suitable for advertising based upon the content that they do. You know, I really yeah, do. I think,
2: Todd, that the area that you're probably most concerned about, and I would be as well, um, is is that technology being used to, to put certain types of shows in certain kind of um, cultural buckets. Right. I, I agree. Um, for you know discrimination against or canceling or that type of thing.
1: Right? Yeah. So it, again I think that we all have to, you know, maintain the you know if we we didn't make it clear last show that we're op about open and inclusivity then we, there's no show that we've ever done that couldn't make it more clear than that. Right. We That's we underst- again going back your opinions your opinion and what you think about content's content but we're not here to address that. Mm-hmm, you know, right. you can There's lots of shows. They're going to be talking about other shows content. Uh, we're here just more to keep the space open and I I don't want to be a judge of anything. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Our CEO, Brad says we're liberated
2: syndication.
1: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Our
2: our terms of service are pretty clear about that too. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, we all run on that same, same model. So I, I think that, uh, or at least a lot of us do um Mm -hmm. yeah i would hope so everybody (laughs) no but i think probably the majority of at least podcast hosts uh, at least i hope they stand for the same type of you know open inclusive models but all right well uh i guess we can get out of here um rob you want to give some 411 on how to reach out to you uh, I can be reached on Twitter
2: um, at Rob greenley, And uh, you can certainly send me an email to Rob G at Lipson.com. And, and Dave, why don't you share how y- you might want to be found?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, real simple. Just Dave at com. You can uh, reach out anytime. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It was fun.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah thank you. I'm Todd at Blueberry.com at Geek News on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back here next Saturday. I mean, next Next Saturday Next Wednesday. And I might be able (laughs) able to reveal where my passport's going to be taking me in mid October. So, uh, uh, yeah, waiting, waiting for an airline ticket booking to make it official. So,
2: Oh, okay. So you're going to share it at the next episode, uh, potentially
1: yes. Yeah. So we'll make sure that we're, and and I'm starting to see a list of other people that are going to be there and that's going to be where they have a conversation in the show in itself. So,
2: I would imagine
1: so. Yes. All right, everyone. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Everyone take care. Thanks Thanks, guys.
2: guys. Thanks guys.
1: Oh, that worked really well. That covered up (laughs) half our face here. (laughs) It just covered up Dave. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Let's see if I can do this one. There we go.